Good morning, St. Michael's. Please stand. Lord, we come before you this morning grateful to be in your presence, to come here and be filled, to come here and to be equipped to go out into the world.
And blessed be His kingdom, now and Amen. Almighty God, to You all hearts are open, all desires known, and from You no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of Your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love You and worthily magnify Your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus said the first commandment, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution, remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of His Holy Spirit. Amen.
Pray together the collect. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you govern all things, both in heaven and on earth. Mercifully hear the supplications of your people, and in our time grant us your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and Amen. Amen. Children, the warriors of tomorrow, ready to be equipped and armed. (laughs) Beautiful, charming, strong. What an awesome crowd. Heavenly Father, we pray for all these young men and women that you would grow in their heart a love for you and a courage to face the world. Amen. 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 (laughs) Our first reading this morning comes from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 1. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is Psalm 71. We'll begin with verse 12 and we'll say it responsively by the half verse. O God, do not be far from me. Let them be confounded and consumed who are adversaries of my life. But I will hope continually. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. O God, 
you have taught me from my youth. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me. Also your righteousness, O God, is very high. You who have done great things. You who have shown me great and severe troubles shall revive me again. You shall increase my greatness. Also with the lute I will praise you and your faithfulness, O my God. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you. My tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all the day long. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. This morning's second reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sound, sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. The word of the Lord. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. St. Luke chapter 4 beginning in verse 21. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, 
You will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down the cliff. Then, passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, I pray as we speak about your word this morning that you would make these words living and active, that you would imbue them with your spirit, that they might bring not only understanding but also transformation in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to talk about probably the overused, most cliched, most abused word in the English language, in my opinion. That is love. You cannot go a single day without hearing somebody saying the word love. But oftentimes it's about, you know, Chick-fil-A chicken sandwiches or about that dress or about this football game or football player. Love is absolutely misunderstood if you try and take it from the broad usage. So today, we're actually called, everybody here knows, the chief thing that we're called to is love. But unfortunately, I'm not going to let us off the hook. I'm actually going to define my term. Because if we were to go by all the definitions that float around our culture, then we could justify ourselves. I'm a man of love. I love the Dallas Cowboys. I love good food and good wine and good drink. I love this. I'm a man of love. No, that's not what we're talking about today. Stinkin' Paul decided to lay out the true Christian definition of love in our New Testament this morning. So that's where we're going to head over, and we're going to see, hopefully, by the end of this, we'll understand even better what it is to be a person of love. And this is kind of important because there is a definition of God in the New Testament that says God himself is love. That's a really high calling. I think if you want to get to know love, if you want to get to know God, then you actually have to embody these things. That's just a theory I have, that you can't hold him at arm's distance and understand him intellectually, but you actually have to live like he calls us to live if you want to have a relationship with God Almighty and his son, Jesus Christ. And so when I talk about these things, there's a lot of challenging aspects to what I will be talking about today, but I hope that you know that actually the primary thrust of this sermon is to invite you into a greater relationship with God who loves you. 
God who is our champion, who fights for us. God who, when we stand before the world that is broken and in pain, we can stand before it in faith and hope and say, actually, Jesus Christ has already won the victory, and we're just living it out. I want to get to know that God, and I want to live from a place of trust in him. So that's what we're talking about today, and it's interesting because the way that he starts out this passage, Paul really lays it down and says, you could be doing all these great things, but if you don't have love, then it's absolutely nothing. And it reminds me of these buildings that I see sometimes in my job when I'm delivering material, especially in the early parts of a job, you get to see these ginormous apartment buildings all the way down to just the studs and the steel bracing. And it's, it's basically just a, uh, a little model of what it's going to be. There's no walls, there's no windows, there's no wood. It's literally just steel beams being laid into this foundation. And I was thinking about that. We talk about how Christ is our firm foundation. Well, what is Christ? Christ is love. Love, the divine love, is our firm foundation. Why does that matter so much? Because if you mess up, at a foundation level, then the entire building is going to come down. There's nothing you can do. In fact, what we do at House Construction is we do doors and trim, and we make it look really nice, and the painters come, and they make it look really nice. It doesn't matter how good the doors are or the trim or the paint or the drywall or literally any other aspect of construction. If you don't get the foundation right, you're done. And in the same way, these people, when he's talking about you could prophesy, you could know all the tongues, you could give all your money to the poor, you could do all these things. But if your foundation isn't in love, it doesn't matter. Another example I thought of is if you're on a boat and you're trying to guide yourself. Back in the day, they used to guide themselves by the stars. And guess what? If you pick the wrong star, even if it's really close, you're not going to end up in the right place. You might be okay for a couple of hours, but by the end of your three-month journey from England to America, you're going to go from landing in Boston to landing somewhere in Brazil because you picked the wrong guiding star. And in the same way, love has to be our guiding star. We can't be trying to follow even things that are as good as prophecy and learning all wisdom and mystery and giving money to the poor. It's just not enough. The only thing that's enough is love, and particularly the love that's embodied in Jesus Christ on the cross. That's our guiding star. That's why Paul says, I preach only Christ and Christ crucified. Because even as we're talking about these words and we're challenging ourselves to be better in love, the reason Paul came up with this list is because he was looking at Jesus. That's who Jesus is, embodied sacrificial love. So let's make sure that our foundation is correct, that we're following the right star, that we don't replace God with something else, even a pseudo-God of our own imagination. Let's look at what love really is today. Let's just start in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, I ha- and, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow, bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now to us, if we looked at somebody's pedigree and they said, 
I know all tongues of men and angels and prophecies, we'd be like, wow, this is the guy to follow. I give all my money to the poor. Wow, this guy's so good. But you know what? Christianity is actually harder than that. You could do all the external things, and Christianity is actually more than that. Jesus himself is the greatest example of this. In his Sermon on the Mount, he says, You've heard it said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to a hell of fire. Man, if my dad, and he tried, but if he was able to understand the discerning, the ideas in my heart towards my brother, I would have got in trouble a heck of a lot more growing up. But instead, I'd say, no, I didn't hit him. But in my heart, I'm plotting the ways to take him down without anybody finding out. In my heart, I'm angry. We're so proud of ourselves. Yes, you may not have murdered him, but you cursed him six ways to Sunday, and you have harbored resentment against him. And maybe you've even made a game about finding all of that person's faults to fuel your wrath and anger. Well, guess what? It doesn't matter what you do. It matters what's in your heart. Now, we know the secret here. What's in your heart is going to come out. So you can pretend all you want, but a facade is only a facade. And if your foundation isn't in love, it's going to fall apart. But don't get yourself all on your high horse with your self-righteous condemnation of your brother. I don't, I'm so kind to that person, but inside you're seething with anger and filing all of these wrongs against you. And holding it as your moral superiority. That's not Christianity either. Now, I'm not saying that it's not better than murdering your brother. But I am saying there's more to the story. Christianity calls us deeper. It calls us to give all of ourselves. It calls us to the cross. Because where does anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, where do these things die? On the cross. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And not just be good, be kind, be nice to people. That's not the Jesus we follow. And this only happens through the transformation of the Holy Spirit. So as we read these things, I know that as I was writing them, I was feeling condemned in myself. Thinking of all the ways that I wasn't living up to the standard of love. But I want you to know that it's actually not your burden to bear. That our job is to go to the cross and to lay it down and to let the Holy Spirit transform us day by day. So don't feel condemnation, but feel invited on an adventure of your life. The adventure that transforms you from glory to glory. Not because you're so good, but because he's so good. So as we read this, don't let that voice of condemnation come in. Recognize our flaws and lay them at the foot of the cross. Okay. Now we get started. Verse 4, love suffers long and is kind. You might know the more modern translation say love is patient, love is kind. But I like this one. This one's graphic. Love suffers long and is kind. Paul's coming out swinging. Love suffers. I've seen High School Musical, and although Troy and Gabriella did hurt a little bit, they did not suffer long. They got back together and everything was fine. That's love. Okay, maybe it's not really what we're talking about here. Maybe we're not really talking about a high school romance. Maybe we're talking about something deeper than that. 
We treat our friendships like a Marie Kondo house cleaning. Does it bring you joy? If not, throw it away. That's how we treat people in our life. That's not what love is. That's why, well, let me just say this. In the age of social media, it's actually a part of our conditioning to think that way. Because you know what you do on social media? You gain your friends on Facebook. But, you know, if they start posting stuff that annoys you, or if they just start posting too often in general, you just block them. You don't have to see them anymore. That's not love. That's not relationship. That's not even friendship, believe it or not. And that's part of the reason why church, in-person church in particular, is necessary in this day and age. Because you're actually forced to sit next to, to encounter people who you may not like. Believe it or not, you might not like somebody else in the room, which means somebody else in the room might might not like you. Church forces us to encounter people and to actually love them. It's really easy to love somebody who makes you feel good. It's really easy to do that. But that's not what love is. Love suffers long and is kind. One of the few places where you're forced to engage with somebody truly insufferable is in church. But guess what? Not all the suffering's on your end. One of the few places where you can be loved in the midst of your insufferability I don't know if that's even a word, but in the place where you really grind people's gears is here in church. I can tell you, thank God my parents brought me here because I had all of these people who loved me even in my years where I was considered a hellraiser, where I was considered a pain in the butt, where I was the person that you didn't want in your Sunday school classroom. And yet, because I came to a place where people were committed to walking out love and community, I was never ostracized. I was never taken off the list. I was always loved, and that made me who I am. Now, of course, there are times where we have to establish some healthy boundaries, right? To keep it light, if your friend is bugging the you-know-what out of you because they're chewing with their mouth open, your Christian love doesn't call you to seethe in silence. Christian love might call you to say, hey, shut your mouth when you're eating. Bro, come on. Are you an animal? That can be loving. But remember, love suffers long and is kind. So you do have to have the kindness in there somewhere, right? So you have to speak the truth in love means you also have to be kind. But you know what? Then by doing that, now your brother's not going to go to some dinner where it actually matters and chew with his mouth open and then not get the job he was auditioning for or interviewing for. We help each other by suffering long with one another, by being kind to one another, but also by speaking the truth to one another in that context of love. So as you start with this, if all you got from today is I'm going to work on suffering long, being patient with one another and being kind, I guarantee you that your relationships would improve. But there's more. Love does not envy. This one seems like another of those things that our culture is actually built to encourage, is envy. Because what do you do on social media? Or what are you called to do even at your job, right? Sell yourself is a common lingo in business books on how to get ahead. Make yourself look as good as possible. 
Which means that you're surrounded by people who are making themselves look as good as possible, whether it's true or not. It's a place that is ripe for envy and competition. There's this movie that just came out called Encanto that we've watched at our house maybe five times because the kids love it. But it's actually a good movie. I I can recommend this one. And in this movie, there's a family of people who have been given these, like, magic superpowers. And the main character, Mirabelle, she's the only one who didn't get superpowers. And while she loves her family, her older sister is Miss Perfect, the perfect flower child. Her superpower is to make beautiful flowers. And she's just, the you know, the gorgeous, perfect child. And that envy grows up in Mirabelle as she looks to her. And the key moment in the movie for her and her sister, they have an uncle who can see prophecies. And he says, in order to save the house, the magic of the house, you have to embrace your sister. And he's so excited because he's like, wow, I finally have something good. We have a key. All you have to do is hug your sister. And it switches to Mirabelle, and she's huffing and puffing. And she's like, what? I don't want to hug the person that I'm jealous of. But the key thing that that I thought was good about how they did this in this movie is when she goes and confronts her sister, she finds out that her sister has just as much stuff, just as much mess, just as much difficulty going on in her own life as she does. And as they work it out, she's no longer jealous of her sister. Now, what what does that mean? I think that's a key to understanding envy because you're never envious of a three-dimensional person. We're only ever envious of our two-dimensional representation of a person. There's enough suffering in anybody's life that you would not trade with them. But if all you ever see is an Instagram post, you'll never know that. We are only ever envious of our own representation of a person, not the real person. And when you encounter that person and you actually love them, in spite of whatever jealousy you have, you see who they are, and that jealousy goes away because you see the fullness of what's going on in their life. I wouldn't trade spots with any of you guys. As wonderful as you guys are, I love my life, and I know enough to know that your life is not easy. But we can get tricked as we see only social media representations of people, only digital representations, or just You don't talk to that person. You see them at church, and they look like they have it all together. Well, that all evaporates when you start to get to know people. What's cool about this story is it's the opposite of Cain and Abel. Cain, instead of going to his brother, he builds up this enemy, Abel's the big bad, out of his own own anger, out of his own insecurity, his own lack. And he takes it out on this Abel. And you know what? When Cain killed Abel, he didn't kill the full person of Abel in his own head. He killed a representation. That's the antagonist. When you encounter a real person and you're you're inhabited by the Holy Spirit of God, you start to see Christ within them. It's natural. So envy can be combated in two ways. First of all, get to know the person you're envious of, or at least start praying for them if that's not possible. And let God open up your mind to the reality of who they are and where they're at. And two, gratitude for where you're at. It's really hard to be envious of others when you realize how much God has blessed you. Now, I was thinking about this, and I had a friend in school who everything seemed to go his way. 
And I always had like a little bit of envy of him. I wanted to be his friend. And then he went off from school and he was at Harvard Law School and he was doing all these things. He was on a successful podcast. He was doing so many things that I thought were so cool. And it was easy from the outside looking in to be envious of him. And then one day he put up an update talking about how he had cancer. And he didn't know what he was going to be able to do. But he was going to try and keep doing these things and then calling for prayer. And he was walking through it. And you know what? Praying for him through that Six months, I think it was maybe a year and a half total journey of fighting cancer and eventually dying. That's when the envy went out the window. Because I got to know him through that process of praying for him and following what was going on in his life. Everybody has plenty of suffering to bear. Yours is enough. Don't be envious of others. And God gives us grace to walk in peace and joy in our own life. If you're always looking for the peace and joy in somebody else's life, well, that's not the grace God gave you. God gave you peace and joy in your life. We have to fight for it. Love doesn't envy because love sees more than a two-dimensional representation of a person. Love sees the whole person. Okay, next. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. This is linked, as I was saying, to envy, right? Because we're told today, make yourself look good. Social media, make yourself look great. Put on this persona that everybody wants to see. But you know what? It happens face-to-face. This problem's way deeper than Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat. This problem is a problem since the beginning of time. Paul's writing specifically to 2,000 years ago. They were having the same problem where they were parading themselves. And you know what? The problem isn't arrogance. It's not just that. The problem is if you pretend to be a person that you're not, eventually you become just as shallow as the person you're pretending to be. You become a shallow persona that has no depth. I've met people like this. They cannot separate from the image they want everybody to see of themselves. It's not good when you embody a persona to try and get people to like you. It's just not good enough. Love is about being yourself without pretension. We all know and admire people who are just themselves all the way through. And yet we go acting like these people who we wouldn't even like if we met them. We go acting like what we think people want us to be. We put a Black Lives Matter sticker on our car to make sure that everybody knows how virtuous we are. Or we try and join on these uh, social media platforms so that everybody knows we're a part of the in-group. And yet inside, who are you? And every group has their own list of things you can do. In church groups, maybe you get to church early and you sit in your perfect spot and you're dressed to the T and you go to home groups and you go to every church workday. And those are all good things. But just like Paul said, if you don't do it out of love, it's nothing. If it's just a parade of yourself, then it's nothing. Even the good things we do, if they're not motivated by love, then they're going to result in nothing. It's such a tragedy in our culture where so many people are estranged from their family. They don't have a community. They literally, the only people they see are the people at work and online. But you know what my family does? If I started to get pretension, they let me know about it. Do you know what they do in my church if I start to act a persona? Well, guess what? The guys around me are going to call me out. Jesse, what the heck? That's not who you are. It's all a part of love being more than a casual encounter. Love is about being in a community. Most of us here have walked with each other for 30 years. That's pretty impressive. 
That's where you can actually learn what it means to not parade yourself, not be puffed up. By engaging with one another, it keeps you grounded. So we've talked about kind of the big three. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself and it's not puffed up. If you can do those three, then the next list is going to be a lot easier. But you have to start with those. And then, guess what? You're seeing people for who they are. You're willing to go through difficulty with somebody. You know that love is deeper than just whatever brings you joy. You know that love does not look to bolster itself. And then we get into verse 5, and it does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, and thinks no evil. Yeah, we're getting deeper here. Why do we behave rudely? That's my question for these. Why do we behave rudely? Well, it's often because we think too highly of ourselves, too highly of what we're doing, or too lowly of the person we're behaving rudely to. Imagine you're in a car and somebody cuts you off, and so you cut them off, and you have some choice words to say to your windshield, and uh, you are behaving rudely in that moment. What's the point? I'm so important that I don't deserve to get cut off or somebody shouldn't treat me that way and they deserve to know it too. Or you, somebody at the restaurant gets your order wrong. I saw this a lot. I don't know if any of you guys struggle with this. I don't because I had to get humbled again and again as a server making mistakes. So I, I, I got that beaten right out of me. But the point is people behave rudely to their servers because they think they deserve better or that they weren't paid attention to enough. There's something in us when we behave rudely that thinks that we are better than this situation or what we're doing is more important than what's getting in our way. So what's the antidote to behaving rudely? Getting an accurate picture of yourself and others. C.S. Lewis has a quote. I'm not going to quote the whole thing, but I'm going to paraphrase. He basically says, it's hardly possible that you could have a high enough opinion of the people around you because of who God has made them to be. It might be possible that you have too high of an opinion of yourself, he says. But it's unlikely that you can have too high of an opinion of the people around you. These are people made in the image of God. And in this building, you've got a bunch of people who have the spirit of God dwelling in them. You're going to be rude to that? I hope not. So love does not behave rudely. It does not seek his own. Why do we seek our own? Because we don't trust God to provide for us. You know what seeking your own is about, especially over and against somebody else? It's about the fact that you think that if you don't fight for what's yours, then you're going to end up with nothing. It's a poverty mentality. Our God's a God of abundance. And when you understand how much God has for you and his storehouses that are overflowing for you, it's a lot easier to not look out for your own and to look out for others. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the greatest love is this, that a man lay down his life for his brother. We can do this when we know that God already did it for us. We love because first he loved us. When you know who God is and what he does for you and what he has for you, it's a lot easier to let go of those things that you're striving for for yourself. Why are we provoked? Because we're insecure. You know, if somebody came up to you and said, like, man, Jesse, 
you just don't read enough books. I wouldn't be that intimidated. I wouldn't be that hurt. I'm pretty secure in the fact that I've read plenty of books and probably could read less books. But if they came up and they said, you know, Jesse, you talk too much, that might hurt me. That might get in there, depending on who it is, because that might be a place that, oh, man, you're right. I really bowled over that person in that conversation. It's an insecurity. So how do you avoid getting provoked? You rest in who God has called you to be. Once again, these are like stacking habits, right? It's like if you do one, it enforces the other. If you know who you are, then guess what? You're not going to be worried about seeking your own because you know you're a child of God who has been called according to his purposes. It doesn't mean you ignore what people say, but it means that you can approach it with curiosity. Like, for instance, if I talk too much and my best friend says, man, I feel like you just rolled over me in this conversation. I'm secure in that relationship. I'd say, oh, man, how did that happen? I'm not going to get provoked. I'm going to ask him, what can I do better? Because I'm secure in that moment. So know who you are, know who God's made you, and then you don't have to get provoked because God is your defender. God is your affirmation. And then, of course, the last one, thinks no evil. Well, that's, you know, that's easy, right? (laughs) Just be perfect. Think no evil. It's like when somebody says, don't think of pink elephants. Well, it's almost impossible. So what is this about? This is about the transformation that we're called to. It's best illustrated in the person of a husband and wife. I've seen this even in my, I think we're going on seven years now, Haley and I. She's not here to contradict me, so I can get away with it. But no, yeah, we're going on seven years. um, And what you see is, I think, when we first started having conversations, there was times where I would get angry with her. And I'd actually, you know, you'd get so angry, you'd want to say the thing that's hurtful in that moment. Just to like get back, because you feel like you're getting hurt, and then back and forth. And it's like, that's evil, that thought. It's really evil to say something against this person that you love, that you care for, that you're supposedly laying down your life to be with forever. And you know what? That happens less and less. Not because I'm so good, but because I've been transformed by Christ in me, and so is she. And we grow together, and we learn how to get through that. We have code words every once in a while when we're starting to get angry. We need to, like, settle down. It's like, pineapple, babe. We need to just put this on pause, and we need to take a breath, you know? I don't know why we chose pineapple. I guess because it's prickly. So when we start getting a little prickly, you know, it's like, okay, take a moment, take a breath. But that doesn't happen overnight. Like, I read this back when I first married Haley. doesn't mean I did it. Doesn't mean I did it, but I read it. I knew that I wasn't supposed to think any evil of my wife, but I did. But the point is, this is a daily transformation. And so we're inviting you to try these things out, to measure yourself against the standard of love and ask God to help you because you're just not going to measure up. But there's no greater adventure in your life than becoming like him. And that's what we do when we get this. And there's there's times. You're going to get there. God, who has begun a work in you, will not stop until it has reached completion. I promise you that. There will come a day when we think no evil. And then six, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. This one's really easy in certain areas in our culture. 
but really hard when you take it personally. It's really easy to say, well, they're so bad because they're celebrating in the name of love that person's sin. You see it all over the place. But the most easy one, transsexual, transgender, all of that stuff that's going on, they're arguing in our culture that it's actually more loving for you to celebrate a gender transition than it is to speak in truth and say, absolutely not. That is not good. So what is he saying? He says, what is real love? Real love does not rejoice in iniquity. What is iniquity? Immorality. Wrongness. But it actually rejoices in truth. But then you bring it down to the lower level. It's easy to point and say, well, I know that transgender and gender transition is bad. I know that. So I can make fun of all those people who think that celebrating that is good. And that's easy for me. But what about celebrating your friend at work who's complaining because their boss, you know, is just really riding them. And they're like, you know, but I, I took an extra $5 out of the cashier till. So there you go. In that moment, do you feel like congratulating your friend? I mean, obviously, I hope not, but there's, there's something in us when, where we want to justify our friend's anger or we want to get on the gossip bandwagon. That's a good one. Here's a tasty bit of gossip. You know what rumor I heard? I heard this person did that. Are you rejoicing in iniquity? Are you finding joy in that? I say this because I think that sometimes we push it out. We're like, of course, I would never celebrate anything evil in somebody I love. But I do think that we do fall into it. It was hard for me, actually, to think of examples that were universal because I think it's different for each one of us. But just look and say, I'd rather live a relationship that is full of encouraging truth in love than one that never addresses the elephant in the room. That never addresses that thing where you might even feel like, man, there's something wrong with what this conversation. But you're like, you know what? I love them, so I'm not going to approach it. That's the opposite of what God calls us to do. He calls us to approach the truth in love, to rejoice in the truth. And, of course, the ending is love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So if you thought it was hard before... Here's all of your all statements. But I want to twist this one around because you know that the entire time Paul is writing this, he's instructing us on how to live out love in our life, but he's also describing God who is love. And that should be encouraging to you this morning. If there's anything in your imagination of who God is, where he is angry at you, where he is envious of you, where he can't bear your wrongdoing, where he can't suffer you long enough, where he doesn't like you, any of that stuff, that's not love and that's not God. God is the God who bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God is a God who never fails. God is patient. God is kind. So even as we're talking about this and we're looking to model our life after the love who is God, we need to know first and foremost what it means that God is love towards us. There is not a problem in your life that God does not have the answer to. As we were singing and worshiping this morning, I just felt like God spoke to me in particular, but I want to share it with you guys. But he was just saying there are things in your life that you have accepted as, well, that's just my burden to bear. 
that he wants to lift. That there are things that we accept in our life as, oh, that's just the struggle that I have. I'm just in a season of difficulty. Well, if your season's lasted three or five years, that's not a season. That's a pattern. And that's a lifestyle. But I want to say today, not as a burden to you, man, I've got to fix myself, but actually as a promise to you that God will not fail in your life. There is no burden that you are bearing that he has not already borne. There is no mountain you are facing that he has not already moved. So look to him for your salvation. I lift my eyes into the hills from where comes my help. My help is from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So as we go out this day and we look to live as people of love, remember that there is a God who is love, who will bear all things in your life, who hopes all things in your life, who will endure all things, who will never fail. Amen? Continue with the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead in the life of the world to come. Brothers and sisters, God knew us before we were even born and knows our needs even before we ask. Therefore, we can approach him with great confidence for all our needs. That the church will proclaim the good news of the kingdom in every place. Lord, in your mercy, that the persecuted church will quickly see the day of their deliverance and the conversion of their oppressors. Lord, in your mercy, that God will establish his justice and peace and love among the nations. Lord, in your mercy. That those who are involved in the killing of innocent children in the womb will have their plans frustrated and their hearts converted. Lord, in your mercy. That our children will learn the ways of the Lord and become faithful disciples of Christ. Lord, in your mercy. That those who teach and those who learn will find Jesus to be the source of all truth. Lord, in your mercy, that we will have our eyes open to see and meet the needs of the poor, the suffering, and the marginalized. Lord, in your mercy. Yeah.
her Son, to redeem us from all wickedness. Hear our prayer and continue to pour into our hearts by your Holy Spirit the love that was in Christ Jesus. We ask this through his most precious and holy name. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. With your Turn and greet your neighbors with the peace of the Lord. Peace, neighbor. With your spirit. Uh, this, this morning, Bishop Kessler and Karen are down in Carlsbad at our church, Christ the Healer. So while I would ask you to pray for him to have traveling mercies, it's not really that far. Right. Although Sunday traffic can be a little iffy. <laughs> so keep Bishop and Karen in your prayers. That's why they're not here this morning. Mm-hmm. They're at our... Uh, our fellow church just down the road from us. Mm-hmm. That's it. You got what it? else? I don't know. I don't. I can't see the announcements. Catechism. <laughs> Catechism started. That happened. Mm-hmm. Nine o'clock every Sunday for uh, anyone thirteen by Easter who wants to be there. Yep. So, and we have a great crowd this year. So I'm looking forward to spending time with. Those young people. We have um, also a couple other announcements on the screen. You can check them out. But it's also time for end-of-the-year giving statements. So we have printed ones in the back. But if you gave online, and maybe you gave online and you gave uh, in person, the printed one only has your in-person giving. So if you gave online, we just sent an email this morning that should be in your email. Uh, otherwise, you can log on to the giving account and you can download that end of year statement as well. So two different places. But if you have any questions, you can ask me or uh, E, our fabulous um, person who manages our money in the office. Amen. Good. That's it. All right. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us together. Through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
We welcome all baptized believers to receive the body and blood of Christ. This is the table of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Come to the table. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right. <laughs> Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death and called us to the glory that has made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we proclaim your mighty works, for you have called us out of darkness into your own wonderful light. And so with all the choirs of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory and join in their unending hymn of praise. Lord, you are holy indeed, the fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts and make them holy, that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he was given up to death, a death he freely accepted, he took bread. He gave you thanks. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup again. He gave you thanks and praise. He gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch Craig, our Bishop Douglas, and all the clergy. Remember those for whom we now pray. Connie, Susan, Serena, Naomi, Sonia, Sandra, Karen, Tammy, Denisa, Dan, Mary Ellie, the Lily family, the Marines and sailors of Camp Pendleton, and all those who serve in our armed forces. You can add to the names of the people that you're praying for. Draw hearts to remember the poor and broken. 
as we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles, martyrs, and all the saints. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit. All honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and so we have the courage to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. <laughs> Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Grant the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Jesus died for you and feed on him in your hearts with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to his supper.
to listen, just to rest in your nearness. I'm starting to notice you are speaking. Thank you. 
great week, interesting week for me. Uh, one of the things that happened, I'll share with you, is kind of a always a fun thing when it uh, feels like God is actually speaking to you. I had this uh, teacup gift that uh, Debbie got as a teacher, and it said, I might have to look this up, it said, uh, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And I kept looking, that's all it said. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And I kept thinking, that's not the whole story. There's something else there. And the next part of that is trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, which we sang this morning. And I thought, oh, man, that's really awesome. Uh, God is actually speaking. It's really encouraging when you hear. You probably heard things that, that uh, happen in church that, you know, remind you of the things that God's spoken to you all that week. I, the next verse is important, too, and it said, um, um, acknowledge him in all your ways. So it's like all these things, and I, and I was thinking about this, and one of the things I kept thinking about that is that, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart is not enough, because it says, trust in the Lord, all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your paths straight. You know what? I want some straight paths. <laughs> so I feel very encouraged today. Great word this morning. I hope you are too. Uh, God is speaking to us. And um, so listen, please stand. Let us pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food and the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who roam throughout the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, fill your hearts and minds with the knowledge and love of God and of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with you and those you love and care for, now and forever. Amen.
Let us go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. There's nothing I hold on to. 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 There's nothing. 